You're listening to the Recovery Roadrunners Podcast, the sobriety podcast for runners who want to get inspired, get informed, and start seeing results fast. Every Monday, we'll share current events, personal stories, and research on how to get sober, stay sober, and run smarter so that you can uplevel your life now. Hey, everybody, I'm your host, Amber Graziano, founder and president of Recovery Roadrunners, certified running and sobriety coach, K-12 master teacher, and sober mother of two. I've got my sober running pals with me tonight, Vinny and Doug, and between the three of us, we've banked wisdom from over 13 years of sobriety and races from 5K to 100 miles. Our mission is to inspire you to ditch the booze and lace up those running shoes. So let's get moving. Hey guys, welcome to episode five of the Triple R podcast, using running as a coping mechanism. So today we're going to share personal experiences of using running as a healthy coping mechanism during challenging times. But first, Vinny and I wanted to tell you guys all about our San Diego 50-mile trail run. Wow, that was a freaking doozy, huh, Vinny? Yeah, it was a doozy, all right. (laughs) And I want to hear all about this, too. Well, if you follow us on Strava or Facebook, you know that Vinny has been struggling with plantar fasciitis. We were hoping that he was going to be able to run the entire distance. Unfortunately, that was not the case. Why don't you tell us what happened, Vinny? Yeah, so I have plantar fasciitis in my right foot, and I, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to finish. I don't sit well. You know, I like to I like to go give it a shot. I have FOMO bad. It's hard for me to watch other people do stuff. So I figured I would just show up and go and see what happened. The go part was was really challenging just to get to the start line. So... <laughs> So this is a funny story. It's worth sharing, I guess. I got a kick out of it. When we signed up for the race, I got online and found a, a place for us to stay. It was um, not not like a conventional hotel. It's called the Bandy, Bandy Canyon Ranch, right? It was like cottages. It was really nice. I picked it because it was two miles from the start line. We could literally run there. It looked like it was right along the course, according to the map. Um, race email, very long, very in-depth. And we thought, we thought we knew where we were going in the morning. We left at 5.15, race starts at 6, bibs at 5.30, pre-race at 5.45, go at 6. Plenty of time. We're two miles. So we plug in what we think is the right thing, and we're driving for like 30 minutes. I'm like, Amber, this is not right. She's like, yeah, it's in this park right here. <laughs> so we go to this park, and it's completely empty. Nobody's there. And then Amber's like, oh, shit, I'm, I'm getting nervous now. So anyway, we roll up. We get there at... 558. Oh, 558. Funny at time. Yep. Slap some bibs on and we're off. We started at 602. Yeah. Dead fucking last. And Vinny was like, I know you just have to get up there and start passing people, right? And I'm like, no, dude. Like, I know we're going to pass people. I'm not worried about it. I honestly was like so cool and calm. <laughs> I did not even care. Yeah. Oh, Vinny was goodness. all frantic frantic and flustered so we obviously had a good start we obviously ran two different races because that's not <laughs> really what happened at all for three days now she's been having me adjust this damn headlamp of hers it's too tight it's too loose it's too tight it's too loose i was about to chuck the fucking thing in the trash on the side of the trail but anyway okay. so we got going we're going really good my foot doesn't hurt we're using a four minutes run one minutes walk strategy and it's working well we're cruising along, everything's great. And we're going at like 11 minute pace, 10, between 10, 15, and 11 minutes pace average, which is pretty fast for that distance for us. That's, that's, that would be nine hours and change, I guess, for 50 miles on uh, about 4,000 feet of elevation. So kind of, kind of aggressive. So I was good through like mile 13 or 14. I, I suggested that we slow down a little bit and Amber said, we're going slow enough. We're going, it's fine. Everything's great. So, okay, I'm struggling to keep up because my foot is starting to hurt. We keep going. And then by mile 17, 18, I'm really feeling bad. My foot is starting to hurt. And then by mile 20, I started to limp a little bit. And then there was these steep like switchbacks up this ridge, up to the turnaround point, And that really kind of killed me. I decided at aid station in like 24 miles or so that I should just stop and quit. And that Amber should just keep going. I was limping and then like changing my stride. I didn't want to cause something, something else. So it really, it was kind of depressing and it kind of killed me to stop, but I stopped. Amber kept going. Yeah. So we split up 
at the halfway mark. At that point, I started to feel like, okay, the race begins, right? Because to me, I always feel good for 20, 25 miles. And then that's when fatigue sets in. That's when the muscles, everything starts to kind of break down for me at that point. And it gets tough. Vinny implied that we started out a little bit too fast. And looking back, I would agree with that. In the future, if I run 50 miles or further, I'm going to definitely commit to 12 minute miles and stick to that because after you're out there for five hours, eight hours, and 10 hours, 12 minutes a mile feels fast and hard to maintain, even with the walk breaks. So I was working my ass off using every tool in my toolbox. You know, I was keeping up on my nutrition. I was making friends out there on the trail. It was a beautiful course. It was a beautiful day. It was almost 70 degrees. So it surprised me at how warm it was. And there was a few times when I actually ran out of water. I think on the next race, I'm going to bring my vest. But overall, it was amazing, Doug. And I was really happy with my time because I, I knocked almost two hours off of my personal vest for that distance. And it was you know, besides Vinny not being able to cross the finish line with me, it was an amazing race. I had the best time. I absolutely loved it. I would 100% recommend that race to people in the area. There were people flying in from Florida and Chicago to run that race. It was it was the best, dude. It was, I loved it. This is so much fun to hear. I had such a fun weekend this weekend following both of you on that because we have the the video chat quit like a runner group and it was so cool to get updates from on the trail Vinny, i know you're a little disappointed that you weren't able to you know complete the core but i gotta tell you man getting out there and running through that pain and getting as far as you did you made the smart move not getting a permanent injury there's toughness and there's stupidity and i think you made the right move definitely you're both my running coaches and what do you tell me at the start of races don't start too fast <laughs> Funny, Doug, it didn't feel too fast. It felt slow and comfortable. It never does. But when you're running 50 miles, you have to mm -hmm. go even slower than slow. And the, I mean, this was my third 50 mile race. So I'm still learning. Like, I know how to pace myself in 20 miles and in a marathon, but I'm still learning about these long distances. And I think I finally learned my lesson. Go even slower than you want to. I think I was I was trying to see how fast I could go. And I was hoping that I could keep that pace the whole time. I really was hoping I could. So I, I couldn't. I didn't. I kind of burned out a little bit at the end. But damn, I had fun doing it. There were some killer hills at the end that I ended up just walking up. I wouldn't change it. The only thing I would change, yes, I would slow down. A little bit in the first half but for me in a 50 mile race that race doesn't start until you're broken down beat down and working hard like when you have to tune into your mental strategies and pull the strength from within you that's when the race starts it's when you're in the pain cave and you're like all right what am i gonna do how am i gonna get through this mile how how am i gonna get through the next 5k the next 10 miles and you start breaking it into chunks. And, and that's when you see what you're really made of, man. That's where the fun happens. I am going to have to join you at one of these 50 milers in the near future. I don't know if I could do it. And I want to find out. I signed up for a 36 miler. And I'm curious uh, how, I, you know, in my head, I go, sure, I could finish that. But who the hell knows once you're out there on the course? Yeah, anything could happen with yeah. weather and traveling. I mean, that's another thing we... We drove from San Luis Obispo to San Diego and it ended up being like an eight and a half hour drive because oh, of the LA goodness. traffic. So we didn't even get to our hotel till almost 10 PM sleep at 11 up at four. Like thing was kind of a shit show, but that is, that's what happens sometimes when you're traveling to races. Like it's yeah. a shit show. You don't know where you are. You don't know where you're going. <laughs> I, yeah. I would have been freaking out getting there. If it starts at six, getting there at five fifty eight. I'm one of those, I have to get to a race like an hour and a half early. I got to be ready. I got to meditate and all this. And there's been a couple I've gotten kind of late to, and it throws me all off. That's uh, yeah. that's wild. If I understand right, on the way back, you stopped for a very special treat at a very special restaurant, right? Oh, thank you for reminding me, Doug. Okay, so if you know who Rich Roll is, 
you know, well, if you know me, you know that Rich Roll is like my idol. I've been following him since the very beginning of my sobriety journey. He has a restaurant that he's kind of a silent partner in North Northern LA. And Vinny and I stopped there uh, the day after the race and we ate at this restaurant. It's called Joy Cafe. Everything on the menu was vegan. Oh my God. It was so good. I mean, they had different burgers. They had all of the, they had like the faux salmon and the faux tuna. So we had a veggie burger, avocado toast and a smoothie bowl. And then we each got a hat. It says good vibes only. And the whole time I'm looking around, I'm like, is Rich Roll here? You going to walk in? Like, please let him walk in. Let's see the day that he happens to check on his restaurant. Because I want to give that guy like the biggest freaking hug. He would probably have me arrested. I am a huge fangirl of Rich Roll. So just eating in that restaurant, like I could not stop smiling. Vinny was like, yeah, was you're like a kid fun. on Christmas. Like you should see how happy you are right now. She was putting on makeup in the car for 20 minutes before we got to the restaurant. That is not <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah. I hope Rich is there. I hope Rich is there. It'll be just, so... just in case. I, I, would, I would have done the same you're thing. Right. I would have done the same I, thing. You're right. It was only 10 minutes. Oh my God, you guys. I'll show you what my but makeup it, routine it, is. It was pretty cool. Rich Roll and his book were one of the first things that Amber and I realized we had in common. We were both fans. We had both read the book. And reading that book had a, an impact on both of our lives. Changed our diets. Changed everything. Yeah. The yeah, book is Finding Ultra. It meant a lot to go there together. It was pretty cool. It was a bucket list item for sure. And now that we know that it's right on our way to L.A., my brother lives in L.A., so we drive through there a lot, kind of, sometimes. We're going to stop there for sure every single time. I'm going to hit him up on Messenger next time and let him know that we're rolling through in case he wants to make an appearance. I'm sure he'll show up. I'm sure he'll rearrange his entire schedule yeah, for that. I would. Oh, definitely. Uh, all I know is I have a one-track mind. You sent me a picture from there, and I'm scanning the menu, and I see something called Taco Taco, and I go, oh, my God, how did you not get Taco Taco? I mean, it's got taco in the name twice. Twice. Yeah. Yeah. When you sent that, I'm like, man, I wonder what taco tacos are because it does. I sound need, I need to know. Building. Next floor retreat is going to be right next to Rich World's restaurant, so we can all eat there, breakfast, yeah. lunch, and dinner. Let's get into the topic for today: running as a coping mechanism. So we're sharing personal stories of how we use running as a healthy coping mechanism during challenging times, and also maybe how we have not used healthy coping mechanisms in the past. We also wanted to touch on how coping gets more difficult when we can't run due to injury or sickness. I've been running since I was 14. I didn't start using running as a coping mechanism until I got sober. I wasn't using it the right way. I was always using running to cure my hangover. Did you guys do that too? I have, yeah. I would... I would drink every night, get drunk, wake up, hungover and dehydrated. And so I would punish myself for going to Taco Bell or Jack in the Box the night before, punish myself for overeating and over drinking. I'm like, okay, got to burn some calories. Got to, you, you know, reverse the damage of what's been done from yesterday. So go running. So I kind of used it as like a punishment. I always loved it. So I was like, yeah, it's something I should do. But it was just really to counteract like all of the garbage that I was putting into my system. Like, can you guys relate to that? Yeah, I can. Definitely. You were, uh, I used to say I was sweating it out. You could yeah. smell it coming out of your body as you were running and sweating. It was disgusting. Yeah, I used to do that all the time. I would cope with bad times, I guess, by running, cycling, swimming, and then drinking all my life. So yeah, I can relate to what you were saying. And good for you two. It still amazes me so much that you had such avid running lives while you were active drinkers. I've said it before, that wasn't a thought in my head. And on those days, I had a bad hangover. There wasn't much happening until the, the afternoon or maybe the evening. But I, I do reflect back. I was an avid skateboarder in my early drinking days before it got really, really bad. That was a big coping mechanism for me. And in many ways, a healthy coping mechanism because it was the hurting myself part is the part that was, you, you know, you said you used running as punishment. You know, the skateboarding in so, some ways was punishment for me. It was, you know, good. You fell down. Get up and do it again. Oh, you fell down. Get up and do it again. 
And that was a very much a coping mechanism for me uh, in my younger days. So I guess I can relate in that regard. Well, the difference between old me and new me is that old version of me could only run two or three miles. I, and then I was just winded, gassed, exhausted. I was finished. That was like my long loop was three miles. Now, I mean, you know, I run 50 miles, 20 miles, whatever. I still use running for daily coping with life. I know we all have stressors ranging from work to kids to relationships, anything and everything in between. For example, I know if you're a mom or a dad, like, and if you're a mom, you're watching the kids all day and you're helping them with homework. You're doing the, you know, the night routine, the dinner, the bath, the bed. And so you don't get a lot of time to yourself. As a mom, I use running as a de-stressor, as a loan time. So for me, I had to ask for help. When I was married, I asked my ex-husband to watch the kids so I could go running. After I got divorced, I either hired a babysitter, ran when they were at school, or asked my parents who live in the same town as me to watch the kids so I can go running. If you have kids and you're like, I don't have time to run, I really beg you to ask for help. Somebody out there can help you. Even if you have to hire a babysitter, hire a teenager for an hour and get your run in or sign up for a gym membership and take your kids to the kid zone so that you can run on the treadmill for an hour. It is so worth it. Without running, I would be so anxious and stressed out and pent up that I honestly don't know what I would do with, with myself. Yeah, I see this with my uh, sister-in-law, Megan, and uh, my brother-in-law, Daniel. They have three children, and my sister-in-law is an avid runner. And let me give her a quick shout out because she just ran the Houston Marathon this past weekend. And she set a personal record for herself. Uh, she ran a 317.06, which is crazy. She was keeping about a 730 pace. She's very fast, very fast. And they trade off. You know, sometimes Daniel will stay in with the kids in the morning. Sometimes she will so they can both get their workouts in. Or, or like you said, they'll ask for help. For example, for them to get down to this Houston Marathon, my in-laws went to New York City so they could watch the baby while they flew out to Houston. So... You know, asking for help is something I wish people did more in life in all aspects of their lives, really. You know, we all need help sometimes. Yeah, for sure. My kids are with me and Vinny uh, 90% of the time. So a lot of times we can't go running together. So we run in shifts. So I'll run first and then he'll run next. Or now they're actually old enough that they ride bikes. So that's amazing because Vinny and I will run and the kids will be riding bikes right next to us. So I love that we can now include them in the adventure. So that's another idea is take your kids running with you and obviously like start really start small and work them up to it. Kids love running and they can do it or put them on bikes or in the baby stroller and, and go. Like my kids loved to run with me in the baby stroller when they were little. I put them in there when they were tiny babies. And I mean, I remember I ran a half marathon when my son was two months old. And another year I ran a marathon when my other son was five or six months old. Us moms, we can get back into it pretty quickly with having somebody watch the kids for us. I was just going to make a mention of those running strollers that I see people with sometimes. Those are crazy. And that must just add so much to the workout having to push those strollers. Did you ever use one of those? Yeah, I had the double bob and I put both my kids in there until they were like five and six years old and it gets really heavy. It's an upper body workout and you have to slow way down, but it's so worth it because if it's either putting the kids in the stroller or not going, I'm putting them in that stroller because running is so yeah. important to me. And it's, it's just such a fun way to get the family outside together, doing something active. We always stopped at the park halfway and then I would continue my run after the kids were done playing. They track marathon records for stroller pushing. That's so cool. And they're really, really fast, like mid two hour, you know, like super fast. I remember when I was getting divorced and I relied heavily on running during that time. Vinny, you've been divorced. Doug, you've been divorced, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was a okay. really difficult well, time. Yeah, During that time period, I did not have coping mechanisms uh, in any way, shape or form. I was deep into my alcoholism at that point, and I had a lot of anger. 
I had a lot of selfishness. I had a lot of ego that was there. And my coping mechanisms at that time were manipulation, lies, yelling, punching walls. It's unbelievable to me that I was that type of person ever in my life. You know me now. I think you see my demeanor and the type of person that I've become. The fact that I've had screaming matches where I've punched walls, um, you know, I'm not proud of that. But that's the person I was. And that's where where alcohol took me. It wasn't until I got sober that I learned that there were healthy coping mechanisms. And there was a whole hell of a lot I needed to learn in this life so that I could cope better. And all of this, the stress that I felt from, from work and just living and all that anxiety, my biggest coping mechanism, of course, was booze. And that worked until it didn't work and became the cause of stress and anxiety. So uh, when I found running in sobriety about a year sober, the mental clarity that happened in my head, I went, oh, my God, where has this been? It um, showed me that there are other ways to deal with stress and difficulties in life. Yeah. Well, your story reminds me of what I was going through when I was getting divorced also, uh, in the years leading up to that divorce, it was the same thing. Huge blowout fights, lots of booze, bad, bad, bad stuff. But I was super lucky. Like you said, that I always had running as one of my coping mechanisms because when I get mad and sad, and frustrated, my favorite thing to do is to put on my running shoes and go running. I remember the day that my ex-husband moved out, we were having a screaming match. I left the room. I got dressed and I went running. He was like, where are you going? Like, I'm going running. And I was gone for hours. I did not come back because I leave it all out there on the road, on the trail. It's just a great way to dump out all the negative emotions and get a fresh perspective on things. So I've always used it whenever I'm just really down in the dumps. That's the first thing I want to do is go running. How about you, Vinny? Yeah, same. When I'm when my marriage was bad, I used to run a lot as well. I'm not sure that I use it as a as a coping mechanism. I think I just used it to run away, to just leave. I was living overseas and I, I would just go out and I would just run for 10, 15 miles, just no, no route, no plan, just go. And then I would just, wherever I was, I would just hop on the train. Where I was, you could buy beer on the train platform and I would just buy beer on the platform. I would hop on the train and I would get drunk and then I would be home again. And yeah, things were better <laughs> in my mind. Yeah, obviously they were worse and it deteriorated and, and uh, the rest is history. You know, it it's worth mentioning because it occurred to me that not everybody listening to this podcast runs or can run right now. Yeah, that's true. And there's other physical activities that I love to do when I'm down in the dumps. I love to go hiking. I love to go walking around the neighborhood with my kids. We love to go swimming and walking on the beach. We love to ride our bikes. We go mountain biking. As long as we're outside in the fresh air, it doesn't matter if it's sunny, rainy, cold, hot. I have to get outside and move my body. It just makes me feel better. And it doesn't take very long. Two minutes later, I'm like already feeling better. Half an hour later, I'm like, yeah, not a worry in the world, my friend. Like, let's just stay outside all day. There's just something about the sunshine fresh air, the open space, unplugging from technology, leaving it all behind. It just clears my mind in the best, best way. Yeah. My wife often says to me that I need to find another coping mechanism outside of running for those times where I may have an injury or where I get sick. And I haven't quite found the exact replacement for it yet. But I do know we have a Peloton. And like you said, movement is a thing. If I can walk and if I can hike, I'm on board 100% with that. I love being outside. I had a couple moments in sobriety. There was one where I developed tendinitis in both of my knees. And I had to rehab for six months where they told me I couldn't run and I couldn't even walk uh, until I had that straightened out. And I did the physical therapy and I leaned into uh, seeing my therapist. Uh, mindfulness and meditation. And then I tried to lean into my creative side as well. I make music and I paint and, you know, write and these kinds of things. And they get me through. But 
there is no replacement that I've found for running that is an exact replacement. There are just things that help a little bit. Uh, I think both of you might agree with that. I totally agree. Running is my favorite, and I think it has the most benefits for me personally. So if people are listening and they're like, I have no motivation to run, especially when I'm pissed, when I'm depressed, let's give them some tips for getting out the door. For me, it's setting up a routine. I'm going to schedule an appointment with myself to run. I'm going to write it in my planner. I'm going to set my outfit out. I'll have a specific time that I'm going to run, put the shoes by the door, and I'm going to keep that commitment like it's an important work meeting that I cannot miss. And I'm going to tell myself, look, you're going to go running for one mile. If you don't want to run anymore, go back home. Leave it at one mile. Almost every single time, like 99 out of 100 times, I'll get out there and I'll run a half a mile and I'm already feeling better. And I want to keep going and going and going. So lacing up your shoes and committing to five minutes or 10 minutes and reevaluating the situation is my best tip. What do you guys think? Doug and I exchanged some emails about this topic. I consider myself a runner. You know, it's a habit that I've developed. So I just know that I'm going to go run every day if I can, because that's what a runner does. I'm not a person who makes time to go running. I go run and then I make time for everything else because running is what I need to do to keep my shit straight, keep my head clear and uh, think about things that are going on in my life. So that's how I think about it. It's, my, it's a habit and I do it every day. If other things don't get done, then they don't get done. I love that. I'm so glad you said that, Vinny. I I view running the same exact way. I'm going to run every day. It's not an option. I know I'm going running because I love it and it's what I do. It's who I am. So just knowing that helps me to not tell myself like, oh, should I go running? Should I not go running? When am I going to go running? It's like, okay, we're going running. Or walking or something. So let's make it happen. Let's do it. I went running today yeah. to help me cope with my running injury. Mm. So <laughs> I ran for <laughs> three miles. Yeah, I talked to, well, I did talk to a doctor after the race, a, a physical therapist. And he said that, uh, yeah, 25 miles, as long as, as long as it's not super, super painful, you're not going to make it worse. So you can run and recover at the same time. So I just went out and ran three miles. So I figured I'll just, I know I can run 10 miles, which is my happy place. And so I'll just keep and I'll just keep doing that until until I can heal up. Yeah. And I just yeah. want to mention for everybody listening, I'm talking about active recovery. Like I don't run seven days a week, but I do active recovery. So I'll go walking one day or hiking one day. So I definitely recommend resting and active recovery days, but it's every day without question. I'm gonna do something physically challenging. How about you, Doug? I, yeah, I agree with you on that. I try to do something physical every day. And that's another one I wanted to bring up here. I've really gotten into hot yoga. That's a great coping mechanism for me. And that's a great, great workout. And boy, can you sweat some things out in those classes. But I want to piggyback off of what you said just a little bit uh, for maybe those who uh, don't have it established in their head that, you know, they're a runner and they're going to get out every single day. And you made the great point of limiting resistance. You're going to have mental resistance to getting out there and you're going to have physical resistance to getting out there. So if you know you want to try to run the next day, uh, what you said is so, so powerful. Set out the clothes you're going to run in the night before. Get your headphones ready. Put your shoes by the door. The less you have to think about or do that next day where you can go, oh, I don't want to go in my closet and get my, my running pants or whatever. That is going to help you uh, get out there. And the same thing with limiting mental resistance. You can do that by getting into somewhat of a routine. Um, you said like setting a specific time that you're going to do it, treating it like a work appointment. It's really changing your mindset about how you want to get at it. And then I've also had to bring myself around to the fact that not everybody has the same experience with running that we do. My wife has often said to me, she's never gotten the runner's high. And she was a competitive runner in her younger days. And, you know, she still runs and she's training for a half marathon right now. And she said that she's never had that experience. 
and that running doesn't necessarily bring her joy or mental clarity, but she wishes it did because she sees my enthusiasm for it and, and what it does for me. That makes me sad, first of all, because I, I wish everyone could, but I think there are some people that don't all have the same experience. So my suggestion to them would be find the thing that you do like to do that is an active thing, whether that be hiking or biking or swimming. Um, I know there are people out there who are avid swimmers where they get that feeling that we get from running from swimming. That's not me. You know, I can swim, but I don't like to swim. I'm not going out there and, and trying to do a triathlon or anything like that. That's my two cents. That's a great segue into what I wanted to talk about next, different sports and different activities, finding what you like to do and committing to doing that every day. You don't have to go run 50 miles. You don't have to go swim two miles. Just commit to like 15 or 20 minutes every day. That's all that you need really to get the mental health benefits, the physical health benefits, get your emotions uh, recharged, you know, get your energy up. You don't need to spend hours and hours slaving away doing cardio that you hate. Just find something that you love, commit to a certain amount of time, whatever feels reasonable and achievable to you and do it. When I hurt my foot earlier this year, or actually it was last year now, I got a stress fracture in my foot. I could not run. And I wasn't even supposed to be walking. They told me to put a boot on my foot. That was devastating to me. That was really my first running injury. Believe it or not, in over 20 years of running, that was my first real injury. I learned a hard lesson with that one. And like you said earlier, what do you do when you're used to using running as a coping mechanism and you can't run? Um, well, <laughs> first of all, shit totally hit the fan because I was like, uh, in a panic, uh, because that was the first time and I had to figure it out quick. So let me just tell you, there were tears involved and I was super depressed about it. I was talking to Vinny a lot, just like dumping out all of my feelings. And I was just so sad that running had been taken away from me, but I didn't sit in that sadness and that state of immobility for very long because I have an exercise bike in my garage. I started riding the bike. Riding the bike did not hurt my foot at all. And I could also lift weights. I committed to keeping my cardio up by riding my stationary bike every day. And I mean every day. For me, it's the mental health benefits that are so powerful. It's like it trumps the physical health benefits for me. It keeps my mind right which keeps my body right, which keeps my family right. And everything keeps on spinning how it should. So I got on my stationary bike and I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. Like I can talk on the phone. I can make videos. I can watch Netflix. And so I just enjoyed it. I saw it as a new challenge. I continued to do my heart rate training. And so I was staying in zone two. And then maybe the next day I would do intervals. And so I made it fun. And I'm like, yeah, this is actually a really good break from running. I had never taken a break from running before. And it honestly, after it felt shitty, it felt really good. And I now I love riding the bike. And I still use my exercise bike as cross training to increase my cardio fitness and take a break from running. And like I said, I also lifted weights because there was nothing wrong with my upper body. I could still squat and lunge and do all the biceps and the planks and stuff. I literally did whatever my body could do. And I did it every day, day by day, one day at a time. It got me through until I was ready to run again. And you're going to come out of that experience physically stronger in a different way because you're using different muscles. And you're going to come out mentally stronger in a different way, too, because you pushed yourself through some discomfort in doing something you know that you're not used to doing. You know, it's a win-win in that situation. And then on top of that, too, I bet you when you started running again, you saw it with fresh eyes. This is a whole new experience. So if you can remind yourself when you're going through something tough that it's going to open you up to a whole new experience down the road, that's a good mindset to have. Vinny, you mentioned that we had exchanged a, a few emails. I loved what you said when you said motivation is bullshit, because that's true. People often think they need to be motivated to have to get out and do something. And motivation really is just like an emotion. You know, it's something that you may feel in the moment. It's what you do after that feeling that counts. 
So if you're motivated to do something and you go do it, great. The win is you going to do something. If you're not motivated to do something and you go do it, that's the win because you went and did. It's the doing something that matters, the not how you feel about it before you go out and do it. I agree with that. You can be motivated to go run five miles today, but you need discipline to go run 50 miles this week. Yeah, there's a big difference. Sometimes we just don't feel good. We don't have the energy, the capacity to go do anything. And there's a couple of different things that you can do about that. The first thing you can do is maybe you need to take a nap. Okay. Rest days are good. Like sometimes as runners, we need to take a week off. Okay. There's nothing wrong with taking a week off or two weeks off or even a month off and transitioning from running into cycling or into yoga and giving your legs and your body and your brain a break from running. But if you're feeling just like down in the dumps and you're lacking motivation, I would say that that is the best time to push yourself out the door True. because you feel like you need a break, but what you need is to get moving. You need the opposite of a break. Okay. If you're, if you're stuck on the couch, stuck in bed, you need to turn on a podcast and get yourself fired up and get out the door because energy begets energy. Once you get started with a new routine, a new fitness routine, you're going to keep on doing it. So if you're just stuck on the couch and you're like, somebody freaking help me. I just go back to what I said earlier. Just commit to five minutes or 10 minutes of an activity that you love. Doesn't matter what it is. Move your body, burn the calories, clear your minds and commit to being a better, stronger version of you. No more excuses, people. That's how I got sober. I started killing my excuses. I had a, I had an excuse that kept me drinking for years when I wanted to get sober. It was, oh, well, all my friends are still drinking. Well, I'm stuck in a miserable marriage. Oh, well, I don't like my job. It's too stressful. Oh, um, it's the only way I know how to relax. Oh, it's the only way I know how to celebrate. So I had all these reasons that kept me stuck doing what I didn't want to do over and over again until I finally woke up one day and I was like, Amber, Quit making excuses. Like nobody's going to get you sober except for you. So do you want to stop drinking or not? And I got real with myself. I looked at myself in the mirror and I'm like, do you want this or not? And the answer was yes. And I stopped making excuses. That's what I did. And if you want to get back in shape or if you want to lose weight, that's what you have to do. You have to stop making excuses. And you can look up podcast and listen to David Goggins talking about it or Rich Roll talking about it. Killing your excuses is my number one strategy for everything. If there's something I don't want to do, like Vinny and I, we're always recommitting to eating healthy. And so we make soup and salad and we're like, yeah, we're going to eat, you know, we're going to cook our food. We're going to eat healthy. And then later as the day goes on, one of us might say, oh, let's just order takeout from Ziggy's, whatever. It's still vegan, but it's vegan junk food. And it's like, no, that is the opposite of what we just said we were going to do. We're not going to do that. You have to have a conversation with yourself, talk yourself out of it, because a short-term gain is not the way to go. You have to always play the tape forward. Like, who do I want to be tomorrow? Who do I want to be next week? How does that person behave? in the moment. You got to master that one second decision. And you know, like for us, we're always on the go. And so it's just easier for us to order takeout when we know we should cook our own food. We should eat at home. We should stop spending money on restaurants. It's so much healthier. So sometimes it's just, Hey, practice what you preach and be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself because you can have everything that you want. If you just stop making excuses. Because you're the only one that suffers. Nobody else. Everybody's going to keep on saying, yeah, you can keep drinking. You're not that bad. Yeah, you can skip your run today. Who cares? Like, but they're not the one running the race. And they're not the one who's suffering in addiction. It's you. And it comes down to you. You make such a good point, And you just sparked an idea in my head of during my drinking years and, and even just in my early sobriety, 
I had no confidence. I had no self-respect, didn't know who I was. And it took me a lot of work to find um, that self-love and that honor and that respect for myself. And I think once you do find those things, then it does make it easier to make better choices in life because you want to treat yourself with love and respect, just like you would, you would want other people to treat you that way. I'll tell you what helps is hanging out in a community like this, talking to other runners, talking to other sober people, hanging out with people who inspire you instead of people who drag you down and want to keep you stuck in addiction. I had to let go of all of my drinking buddies and that sucked. Like it really sucked. After a period of time, I made new sober friends. I made new running friends. Hang out with people who encourage you to be the best version of you. Hang out with people who inspire the hell out of you. Watch them on Strava. You're going to get motivated when you're watching somebody go run Moab 250. Or when you see somebody celebrate 10 years of sobriety, you're like, oh, hell yeah. That person did what? Maybe I could do that. What does Rich Roll always say? Mood follows action. Yeah, he does. This thing, right? Yeah. So if you want to feel good, go do something positive. Go do something good and you'll be in a better mood for it. Any uh, final thoughts on this topic, guys? It might be a little difficult to tell considering present company, but so I haven't had a drink in two and a half years since I decided to quit drinking. I haven't um, had the urge to drink or the desire to drink since then. I don't really get cravings and I haven't had a day bad enough where I would consider drinking until I guess it was two weeks ago. Long story short, Amber and I got in an argument and it was a doozy. It was a really bad fight, guys. Yeah, Not pretty. It, yeah, it wasn't good. I didn't know how it was going to end up. So Amber was driving back to go see her mom, which was scheduled, but it just came at, at a really bad time. So there was no closure, no resolution. She left and we were still arguing and it wasn't, it was like I said, it was bad. So I, we didn't know, I guess, how it was going to end. So for the first time in two and a half years, I considered drinking. So I'm like, well, if she doesn't come back, why wouldn't I drink? I mean, I could go drink right now and no one, nobody would know and nobody's really going to give a shit. And I wouldn't need to tell anybody. I would have to tell Amber eventually, even if she came back. But if she didn't, then really, who cares? Right. But then I'm, I'm having this conversation with myself and I, I actually had to go to work that that afternoon. So I, I developed this plan in my head. There were a couple options. You know, I was scheming. I was going to either call out uh, work because I didn't really have much to do at work and then just 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 go drink. Or I was just going to go to work, come back in the evening and then drink. So as I'm having this conversation and making these plans with myself, I'm like, it's almost like an outer body experience. I'm like watching myself talk myself into drinking and just thinking what a hypocrite I would be. I encourage people not to drink and to do something about an urge or a craving to drink, like go run, call somebody, do any, any of those tools. Um, and I was sitting here not going to use any of them and I was just going to drink. I decided that that wasn't the best idea that I would go run. I would just go run until either I couldn't run anymore or the problem resolved itself or it got worse. And then I would just stop at the liquor store on the way home and, and buy some beer. I knew what liquor store I was going to go to, too, because it, we passed by it all the time. We go there all the time. So I went and ran. But I had like this, the plantar fasciitis and my foot was bothering me. So it was it was it was it was not a good run. So which was making it worse and making me want to drink even more. I guess long story short, I did use running to cope with some some serious shit that was going on in my life. And, and then it ended up working because I, I didn't drink and I, I ran and I, I, I told Amber that uh, I wasn't going to tell her, but I did tell her that I was thinking about drinking. It did resolve itself. Obviously, we're sitting here together and I didn't drink and I ran until I, it was close because my foot was screaming and I had, I had gone like 10, 11 miles or so. So it, it took a while and a lot of texts and a lot of I'm sorry's and Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it all worked out. So I was able to use running as a coping mechanism and I didn't drink and it all worked out. Wow. That really pulls at my heartstrings. Vinny brings me right back to that day. Uh, relationships are tough, man. And yes. ours is pretty, ours is pretty damn solid. I do have to say this is the best relationship I have ever been in, but we're not immune to fighting 
I guess. Disagreeing, arguing. Uh-huh. We're not immune to any of that. And I mean, they say that if you're in recovery, you should not date another person in recovery. Like two alcoholics together. I mean, shit could totally hit the fan, right? Yeah. Luckily, luckily it didn't. It didn't get that far. To be honest with you, when you told me that you were thinking about drinking, I didn't believe you because you're two and a half years sober. We've had many conversations about the fact that neither one of us is ever going to drink again. If our relationship wasn't as good, I probably wouldn't have told you. I would have just said, ah, whatever. You know, and, and previously I would have just not even cared because I never had a relationship that I really gave a shit about. And I would just be like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, and I would just go do what I wanted. So, yeah, my no. life is different. Well, you and I are both <laughs> you, extremely you, stubborn people. So when we fight, we fight. Next time you tell me that you're thinking about drinking, I'm going to, I'm going to believe you. If you ever tell me that again, I'm going to know that you're serious. There's only been one time in my three and a half years of sobriety that I felt like drinking. And that was the worst day of my life. Okay. And I went home from worst day of my life, put on my running shoes, and I ran five miles as fast as I freaking could. Yeah, I remember that. I could barely keep up. Yeah, I know. But I just want to say, like, thank you for sharing that story. It's yep. it's real stuff. Relationships test us to the core. And that's the time that we want to isolate. We want to hide. We want to escape. It's at that very moment when we need to have that internal conversation with ourselves and say, what do we really want? What's tomorrow going to look like? What's in the best interest of Vinny? And reach out to somebody. And I know you reached out to me and I, I kind of feel like I failed you. So I'm sorry, Vinny. No, you didn't fail. It all worked out. <laughs> Doug, you're, you're listening you to this. You two are too cute. Uh, I'm glad this worked out so I didn't lose my running coaches, you know. Uh, let's bring it back to me. What about me here? But seriously, with alcoholism, people don't realize, people who aren't alcoholics don't realize that we do have to be constantly vigilant because sometimes that urge to drink will just come on suddenly and it wasn't there before and then it's there. And if we don't have tools and mechanisms in place to combat that, sometimes you don't have a defense against it. And relationships are hard. There's no question about that. And when I got sober, there was a lot I had to learn. And there was still a part of my addict and alcoholism side that for some reason wanted to be close to it. So I I dated people in recovery, but they were still actively drinking. And then I dated another woman who uh, was probably an alcoholic, but didn't know. And I had to do a lot of work in therapy to break out of that stuff uh, before I, I found what I deserved. And I found uh, my wife, Erin, who was, who was wonderful. And one of the things, I'm not a therapist or anything, but one of the things I can definitely suggest is, you know, it's good to have a plan in place for when these things happen. So maybe, and it sounds like you've talked this out, but, you know, have a talk and say, hey, if we get in an argument like that again, our sobriety is number one. What can we do for each other, even if we're pissed off at each other, to not jeopardize that sobriety? You know, that might just be a good conversation to have. And you reminded me, too, one of those relationships that I was in, I used running as a coping mechanism. There was this one really bad night uh, at the apartment that I had been living in, and she got really, really wasted. And I don't remember if this was the night. um, She got really angry a lot of times when she drank, and I was still a little heavy, and she had fat shamed me and said a lot of nasty shit. And uh, I had an urge to drink and I lived right near a liquor store and it was maybe three in the morning. So it was closed, which is good. But I went out and I ran and I had this clarity that came to me in my head that said, what are you doing? You got to get the hell out of this relationship like this. This is not working out for you. You know, that was where I definitely use running to cope. And uh, it gave me the clarity to make a good decision. It just occurred to me that we get these intuitive hits like you just said. Like, what the hell are you doing? You have to get out of this relationship. Those thoughts that you think, those are red flags. Those are intuitive hits. Do not take them lightly. Like when you get a thought like that, and there's a lot of truth behind it, it might be scary. It might be the opposite of what you want to do. It might be comfortable to do 
what you don't want to do. But my point is when you get an intuitive hit, listen to your gut, follow your gut, because so many times it is so spot on. There's been so many times when I knew what I needed to do and I didn't do it because I was scared. And now when I get an intuitive hit like that, I'm like, oh, but I try to talk myself out of it. Oh, I I don't want to do that. It's scary. It's hard. It's whatever. Well, that's exactly what you should do. Do the hard thing. Always do the hard thing. Agreed. I'm sure we could talk about this all day, swap stories together, but let's go ahead and wrap it up until next week. But before we do, uh, I just wanted to mention, Vinny reminded me, he just cracked open Athletic Brewing Company beer. It's a non-alcoholic run wild IPA. Um, If you guys don't know this, I just became a brand ambassador for ABC Brewing. So you can use the discount code AMBERG20 to get 20% off from Athletic Brewing. I know that sometimes, you know, drinking NA beers are triggering for people. So if that's you, then definitely don't drink the NA beer. Vinny and I love to drink these. We'll have like one a day. Sometimes we even share one. So we'll each have half of a beer. But, you know, we like to drink it um, after we run or like with dinner or whatever. Like, I think they're freaking delicious. And we're actually bringing a few cases with us to our next race in two weeks. The La Cuesta 50K, we might do the 25K. We'll see how Vinny's foot is doing. But yeah, so you can use that discount code. And if you want to get involved more with Recovery Roadrunners, you can always sign up for one-on-one coaching with me or Vinny or both of us. You can get run coaching. You can get sobriety coaching. And you can join our small group, Quit Like a Runner. We've got 14 people in there that are working their freaking butts off to run their first sober marathon, sober half marathon. We've got people who just celebrated 60 days sober, people who just celebrated two weeks sober. And these are big, huge, monumental things that these people have been trying for years to do that they're now accomplishing within our small group. It's the power of community, following people who are further along down the path and just staying plugged in with your sober pals and your coach. So come on and join us. If you guys want to, you can visit the website at recoveryroadrunners.com, click on coaching. And yeah, it's been fun to talk to you guys as always. It's been great. That was a good conversation. Yeah. And any of the listeners, if you have any topics that you want us to hit on, please just tell us on Facebook or send us an email. And we'll see you next week, guys. Happy yeah. running. See ya. Bye-bye. Thanks Have a good for listening. one, everybody. Bye-bye.